0: Section 7 of Popular Lectures on Scientific Subjects. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Molehill Mountain. Popular Lectures on Scientific Subjects by Hermann von Helmholtz. Chapter 3, Part 5 Harmony of Color. We here naturally raise the question if, Owing to the small quantity of light and saturation of his colors, the artist seeks, in all kinds of indirect ways, by imitating subjective impressions to attain resemblance to nature, as close as possible but still imperfect. Would it not be more convenient to seek for means of obviating these evils? Such there are indeed. Frescoes are sometimes viewed in direct sunlight transparencies and paintings on glass can utilize far higher degrees of brightness and far more saturated colors. In dioramas and in theatrical decorations, we may employ powerful artificial light and, if need be, the electric light. But when I enumerate these branches of art, it will at once strike you that those works which we admire as the greatest masterpieces of painting do not belong to this class, But by far the larger number of the great works of art are executed with the comparatively dull water or oil colors, or at any rate for rooms with softened light. If higher artistic effects could be attained with colors lighted by the sun, we should undoubtedly have pictures which took advantage of this. Fresco painting would have led to this, or the experiments, of Munich's celebrated optician Steinheil, which he made as a matter of science that is to produce oil paintings which should be looked at in bright sunshine would not be isolated experiment seems therefore to teach that moderation of light and of colours in pictures is ever advantageous and we need only look at frescoes in direct sunlight such as those of the new pinakothek in munich to learn in what this advantage consists their brightness is so great that we cannot look at them steadily for any length of time And what in this case is so painful and so tiring to the eye would also operate in a smaller degree if, in a picture, brilliant colors were used, even locally and to a moderate extent, which were intended to represent bright sunlight and a mass of light shed over the picture. It is much easier to produce an accurate imitation of the feeble light of moonshine with artificial light in dioramas and theater decorations we may therefore designate truth to nature of a beautiful piece as an ennobled fidelity to nature such a picture reproduces all that is essential in impression and attains full vividness of conception but without injury or tiring the eye by the nude lights of reality the differences between art and nature are chiefly confined as we have already seen to those matters which we can in reality only estimate in an uncertain manner such as the absolute intensities of light that which is pleasant to the senses the beneficial but not exhausting fatigue of our nerves the feeling of comfort corresponds in this case as in others to those conditions which are most favourable for perceiving the outer world and which admit of the finest discrimination and observation It has been mentioned above that the discrimination of the finest shadows, and of the modelling which they express, is the most delicate under a certain mean brightness. I should like to direct your attention to another point which has great importance in painting. I refer to our natural delight in colours, which has undoubtedly a great influence upon our pleasure in the works of the painter. In its simplest expression, as pleasure in gaudy flowers, feathers, stones, in fireworks and bengal lights, this inclination has but little to do with man's sense of art. It only appears as the natural pleasure of the perceptive organism in the varying and multifarious excitation of its various nerves, which is necessary for its healthy continuance in productivity. But the thorough fitness in the construction of living organisms, whatever their origin, excludes the possibility that in the majority of healthy individuals an instinct should be developed or maintain itself which did not serve some definite purpose. We have not far to seek for the delight in light and colors, and for the dread of darkness. This coincides with the endeavor to see and to recognize surrounding objects. Darkness owes the greater part of the terror which it inspires to the fright of what is unknown and cannot be recognized. A colored picture gives a far more accurate, richer, and easier conception than a similarly executed drawing, which only retains the contrasts of light and shade. A picture retains the latter but has, in addition, the material for discrimination which colors afford by which surfaces which appear equally bright in the drawing, owing to their different color, are now assigned to various objects, or again, as alike in color, are seen to be parts of the same, or of similar objects. In utilizing the relations thus naturally given, the artist, by means of prominent colors, can direct and enchain the attention of the observer upon the chief objects in the picture and by the variety of the garments he can discriminate the figures from each other but complete each individual one in itself even the natural pleasure in pure strongly saturated colours finds its justification in this direction the case is analogous to that in music with the full pure well-sounding tones of a beautiful voice such a one is more expressive that is even the smallest change of its pitch or its quality any slight interruption, any tremulousness, any rising or falling in it, is at once more distinctly recognized by the hearer than it could be in the case of a less regular sound. And it seems also that the powerful excitation which it produces in the ear of the listener arouses trains of ideas and passions more strongly than does a feebler excitation of the same kind a pure fundamental color bears to small admixtures the same relation as a dark ground on which the slightest shade of light is visible any of the ladies present will have known how sensitive clothes of uniform saturated shades are to dirt in comparison with gray or grayish-brown materials this also corresponds to the conclusions from young's theory of colors According to this theory, the perception of each of the three fundamental colors arises from the excitation of only one kind of sensitive fibers, while the two others are at rest, or at any rate are but feebly excited. A brilliant, pure color produces a powerful stimulus, and yet, at the same time, a great degree of sensitiveness to the admixture of other colors in those systems of nerve fibers which are at rest. The modeling of a colored surface mainly depends on the reflection of light of other colors which fall upon them from without. It is more, particularly when the material glistens, that the reflections of the bright places are preferably of the color of the incident light. In the depth of the folds, on the contrary, the colored surface reflects against itself and thereby makes its own color more saturated. A white surface on the contrary of great brightness produces a dazzling effect and is thereby insensitive to slight degrees of shade strong colors thus by the powerful irritation which they produce can enchain the eye to the observer and yet be expressive for the slightest change of modeling or of illumination that is they are expressive in the artistic sense if on the other hand We coat two large surfaces, they produce fatigue for the prominent colour, and a diminution in sensitiveness towards it. This colour then becomes more grey, and on all surfaces of a different colour the complementary tint appears, especially on grey or black surfaces. Hence therefore clothes, and more particularly curtains, which are of too bright a single colour, produce an unsatisfactory and fatiguing effect. The clothes have moreover the disadvantage for the wearer that they cover the face and hands with a complementary colour blue produces yellow violet gives greenish yellow bright purple gives green scarlet gives blue and conversely yellow gives blue etc there is another circumstance which the artist has to consider that colour is for him an important means of attracting the attention of the observer to be able to do this he must be sparing in the use of the pure colours otherwise they distract the attention and the picture becomes glaring it is necessary on the other hand to avoid a one-sided fatigue of the eye by too prominent a colour this is effected either by introducing the prominent colour to a moderate extent upon a dull slightly coloured ground or by the juxtaposition of variously saturated colours which produce a certain equilibrium of irritation to the eye and by the contrast in their after-images strengthen and increase each other a green surface on which the green after-image of a purple one falls appears to be a far purer green than without such an after-image by fatigue towards purple, that is, towards red and violet, any admixture of these two colors in the green is enfeebled, while this itself produces its full effect. In this way, the sensation of green is purified from any foreign admixture. Even the purest and most saturated green, which nature shows in the prismatic spectrum, may thus acquire a higher degree of saturation. We thus find that the other pairs of complementary colors, which we have mentioned, make each other more brilliant by their contrast, while colors which are very similar are detrimental to each other and acquire a gray tint. These relations of the colors to each other have manifestly a great influence on the degree of pleasure which different combinations of colors afford. Two colors may, without injury, be juxtaposed, which indeed are so similar as to look like varieties of the same color produced by varying degrees of light and shade. Thus, upon scarlet, the more shaded parts appear of a carmine, or on a straw color, they appear of a golden yellow. If we pass beyond these limits, we arrive at unpleasant combinations, such as carmine and orange or orange and straw yellow the distance of the colours must then be increased so as to create pleasing combinations once more. The complementary colours are those which are most distant from each other. When these are combined, such, for instance, as straw colour in ultramarine, or verdigris in purple, they have something insipid but crude, perhaps because we are prepared to expect the second colour to appear as an afterimage of the first, and it does not sufficiently appear to be a new and independent element in the compound. Hence, on the whole, combinations of those pairs are most pleasing in which the second color of the complementary tint is near the first, though with a distinct difference. Thus, scarlet and greenish-blue are complementary. The combination produced when the greenish-blue is allowed to glide either into ultramarine or yellowish-green sap-green, is still more pleasing in the latter case the combination tends toward yellow and in the former towards rose-red still more satisfactory combinations are those of three tints which bring about equilibrium in their impression of colour and notwithstanding the great body of colour avoid a one-sided fatigue of the eye without falling into the baldness of complementary tints to this belongs the combination which the venetian masters used so much red green and violet as well as paul Veronese's purple greenish blue and yellow the former triad corresponds approximately to the three fundamental colours in so far as these can be produced by pigments the latter gives the mixtures of each pair of fundamental colours it is however to be observed that it has not yet been possible to establish rules for the harmony of colours with the same precision and certainty as for the consonants of tones On the contrary, a consideration of the facts shows that a number of accessory influences come into play, when once the colored surface is also to produce, either wholly or in part, a representation of natural objects or of solid forms, or even if it only offers a resemblance with the representation of a relief, of shaded and of non-shaded surfaces. It is, moreover, often difficult to establish, as a matter of fact, what are the colors which produce the harmonic impression? This is preeminently the case with pictures in which the aerial color, the colored reflection and shade, so variously alter the tint of each single colored surface when it is not perfectly smooth, that it is hardly possible to give an indisputable determination of its tint. In such cases, moreover, the indirect action of the color upon the eye is only a subordinate means, for on the other hand the prominent colours and lights must also serve for directing the attention to the more important points of the representation compared with these more poetical and psychological elements of their representation considerations as to the pleasing effect of the colours are thrown into the background only in the pure ornamentation on carpets draperies ribbons or architectonic surfaces Is there free scope for pure pleasure in the colors, and only there can it develop itself according to its own laws? In pictures, too, there is not, as a general rule, perfect equilibrium between the various colors, but one of them preponderates to an extent which corresponds to the dominant light. This is occasioned, in the first case, by the truthful imitation of physical circumstances, if the illumination is rich in yellow light yellow colours will appear brighter and more brilliant than blue ones for yellow bodies are those which preferably reflect yellow light while that of blue is only feebly reflected and is mainly absorbed before the shaded parts of blue bodies the yellow aerial light produces its effect and imparts to the blue more or less of a grey tint The same thing happens in front of red and green, though to a less extent, so that, in their shadows, these colors merge into yellow. This also is closely in accordance with the aesthetic requirements of artistic unity of composition in color. This is caused by the fact that the divergent colors show a relation to the predominant color, and point to it most distinctly in their shades. Where this is wanting, the various colors are hard and crude, and, since each one calls attention to itself, they make a motley and disturbing impression, and, on the other hand, a cold one, for the appearance of a flood of light thrown over the object, is wanting. We have a natural type of the harmony, which a well-executed illumination of masses of air can produce in a picture. In the light of the setting sun, which throws over the poorest regions a flood of light and color, and harmoniously brightens them the natural reason for this increase of aerial illumination lies in the fact that the lower and more opaque layers of air are in the direction of the sun and therefore reflect more powerfully while at the same time the yellowish-red colour of light which has passed through the atmosphere becomes more distinct as the length of path increases which it has to traverse and that further this coloration is more pronounced as the background falls into shadow In summing up once more these considerations we have first seen what limitations are imposed on truth to nature in artistic representation how the painter links the principal means which nature furnishes of recognizing depths in the field of view namely binocular vision which indeed is even turned against him as it shows unmistakably the flatness of the picture how therefore the painter must carefully select partly the perspective arrangement of his subject its position and its aspect and partly the lighting and shading in order to give us a directly intelligible image of its magnitude its shape in order to give us a directly intelligible image of its magnitude its shape and distance and how a truthful representation of aerial light is one of the most important means of attaining the object We then saw that even the scale of luminous intensity, as met with in the objects, must be transformed in the picture to one differing sometimes by a hundredfold, how here the color of the object cannot be simply represented by the pigment, that indeed it is necessary to introduce important changes in the distribution of light and dark, of yellowish and bluish tints. The artist cannot describe nature, he must translate her, yet this translation may give us an impression in the highest degree distinct and forcible not merely of the objects themselves but even of the greatly altered intensities of light under which we view them the altered scale is indeed in many cases advantageous as it gets rid of everything which in the actual objects is too dazzling and too fatiguing for the eye thus the imitation of nature in the picture is at the same time an ennobling of the impression on the senses in this respect we can often give ourselves up more calmly and continuously to the consideration of a work of art than to that of a real object the work of art can produce those graduations of light and those tints in which the modelling of the forms is most distinct and therefore most expressive it can bring forth a fulness of vivid fervent colours and by skilful contrast can retain the sensitiveness of the eye in advantageous equilibrium it can fearlessly apply the entire energy of powerful sensuous impressions and the feeling of delight associated therewith to direct and enchain the attention it can use their variety to heighten the direct understanding of what is represented and yet keep the eye in a condition of excitation most favourable and agreeable for delicate sensuous impressions if in these considerations my having continually laid much weight on the lightest finest and most accurate sensuous intelligibility of artistic representation may seem to many of you as a very subordinate point a point which if mentioned at all by writers on aesthetics is treated as quite accessory i think this is unjustly so the sensuous distinctness is by no means a low or subordinate element in the action of works of art its importance has forced itself the more strongly upon me the more i have sought to discover the physiological elements in their action what effect is to be produced by a work of art using this word in its highest sense it should excite and enchain our attention arouse in us in easy play a host of slumbering conceptions and their corresponding feelings and direct them towards a common object so as to give a vivid perception of all the features of an ideal type whose separate fragments lie scattered in our imagination and overgrown by the wild chaos of accident It seems as if we can only refer the frequent preponderance in the mind of art over reality to the fact that the latter mixes something foreign, disturbing, and even injurious, while art can collect all the elements for the desired impression and allow them to act without restraint. The power of this impression will no doubt be greater the deeper, the finer, and the truer to nature is the sensuous impression which is to arouse the series of images and the effects connected therewith. It must act certainly, rapidly, unequivocally, and with accuracy if it is to produce a vivid and powerful impression. These essentially are the points which I have sought to comprehend under the name of intelligibility of the work of art. Then, the peculiarities of the painter's technique, technique, to which physiological optical investigation have led us, are often closely connected with the highest problems of art. We may perhaps think that even the last secret of artistic beauty, that is, the wondrous pleasure which we feel in its presence, is essentially based on the feeling of an easy, harmonic, vivid stream of our conceptions, which, in spite of manifold changes, flow toward a common object, bring to light laws hitherto concealed, and allow us to gaze in the deepest depths of sensation of our own minds. End of section seven.